Welcome to Moonbeaming, a podcast about lunar living, magic, creativity, tarot, and more. I'm your host, Sarah Faith Godestiner, and I'm so honored and excited to be here with you today. Hello and welcome. If this is your first time joining us, you're listening to a podcast that is hosted by myself, Sarah Faith Godestiner. I'm an artist, I'm a business owner, I'm a tarot reader, I'm a witch. What else? Uh, designer, very loving dog parent. <laughs> My dogs are very important to me. I'm laughing because I was just talking to a friend about how much they don't know that they've been getting me through. For all of you pet lovers, for all of you folks with pets, I'm sure. Do you ever look at your pets and you're like, wow, I'm so grateful to your fuzzy, cute face, and you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea the joy that you spread. So just uh, just some dog love there. But anywho, this podcast is not about dogs. I know, shocking. This podcast is about life through a spiritual lens, through a magical lens. We talk about tarot, archetype, business, intuition, money, astrology, the moon, grief, art, creativity, trying to live, laugh, love. Just kidding. Just mostly living. No, there's some laughter there. There's some laughter and there's some love, you know, it's all there. So I'm just really glad you're here. This is a podcast for critical thinkers, for people who are questioning what they believe and for folks who want to live life with integrity and with ethics. So I'm really, really glad that you're here because today, in particular, we've got an incredibly special episode with a really special guest. I cannot wait for y'all to hear it. Before getting into it, I wanted to let you know about my upcoming workshop this Sunday. Registration ends on Friday morning. We need some time to onboard everyone. So this is the last call. This is it. I can't wait to gather with everyone to do some ritual, some reconnection. We are diving into the archetype of the lovers, all the beauty that this card presents us with. So if you're feeling called to explore self-love, to connect to your intuition, to work with the energies of the lover's card and want to go deeper. If you want to make some time for yourself and to spend time with myself and other really beautiful people, all the folks that always sign up for these workshops, you know who you are. You're just so lovely. You're the best. Then sign up link in the show notes. I can't wait to connect with everyone in real time. Now on to our show. Today, our guest is one of my favorite astrologers, probably one of your favorite astrologers as well. The wonderful, kind, brilliant, intuitive, on point, 
Renee sells. Renee's horoscopes are the only ones I listen to over on her Embodied Astrology podcast. I deeply respect the way Renee practices astrology. I knew I needed to have her on to go deep into the astrology of 2022. The best part for me about all of this is that Renee is a friend and you can kind of tell because one of the ways I fall in love with my friends are that they are people I can talk with forever and vibe with. And that's why I've had some of my friends on the show because my friends are brilliant and remarkable and our conversations are inspiring and I I love to host them over here and they're just awesome. And you can kind of see that start to happen on this episode. There's some good vibes. The lover's vibe is prevalent here and we cover a lot of ground. Renee presents us with some of the main astrological signatures of 2022 and gives us a lot to think about. So if you want to get prepared for this year from an astrological perspective, if you're interested in astrology and how it plays out collectively, then you need to listen to this episode. We actually had a lot more to talk about, of course, before running out of time. So I might ask Renee to come back on if she is generous enough with her time to do so. Maybe we'll do like a mid-year check-in or something like that, or maybe we'll host a workshop together, just putting it out there into the universe. So if you'd like that, let us know, review the podcast, leave Moonbeaming five stars and tell us you'd like that. Tell us you would want to hear that. And if you like Renee, of course you don't like Renee, you love Renee, get involved with her work get involved with her community, subscribe to Embodied Astrology, sign up to get a reading with her. She's a skilled, skilled reader, and I highly recommend her. But for now, we've got a deeply comprehensive overview with some of the main astrological themes for you to take note, listen up, and reflect on. Hello, hello. I could not be more excited to have everyone's favorite astrologer, philosopher, thinker, podcast host. Today, we are so lucky to welcome Renee Sills onto the podcast. Hello. Hey, thanks so much for having me back. I'm so excited about what we're going to talk about. It is going to be such a great episode. But first, I just would like you to introduce yourself for the folks who might not be familiar with you and your work. Yeah. Hi, I'm Renee. Um, I run Embodied Astrology, which is a podcast. I do horoscopes every month for sign-based seasons. Uh, I have a blog, I have an Instagram, and I've been doing a lot more writing. My background is I'm a second-generation lifelong astrologer, and I've been working in the field of somatics and body work and different movement practices since I was quite young, about 11 years old. So most of my life has uh, been some kind of intersection between embodiment work and astrology or mysticism. I went to school for art. I have two art degrees. And a lot of how I think about astrology and embodiment practices also through the lens of uh, art and relational aesthetics. Um, 
so yeah, that's a little bit about me. I love it. I just am so curious in your opinion and what do you think looking at astrology in an artistic way, like how is that important for you in your practice? Hmm. Well, first of all, astrology is such a deeply creative practice. I mean, we're literally looking at movements of the planets that are their own things, you know, like the planets are their own things. The stars are their own things. In tropical astrology, we're considering the uh, relationship between the earth and the sun and the moon in um, a lot of significance. And these are bodies that are much older than the human race. Um, They'll last a lot longer and we're making it about us. And so astrology inherently is, I think, an embodiment practice. It is a creative interpretation of the symbolism of the natural world and the motion of the planetary bodies, uh, the earth and the luminaries. And so I think that any time that we're dealing with symbolic representation and telling stories, uh, we're working artistically, we're working creatively. And I would also say that I think that art in terms of the kind of long view of human evolution has only recently become entertainment. And for the majority of our existence here on this planet, art and spiritual practice were synonymous. And so in the way that I feel my engagement with astrology, I feel that it is a creative gesture towards spiritual practice and interpretation that is meaningful for me and you know astrologers need to make sense for the time and the place that they're in um and so i think a creative reimagining of symbols is um yeah very much a a dance (laughs) so to speak that i feel like i'm doing a lot i love that i love that i love that so much i have so much to think about and talk about i just had one more question for you before we get into what we're really here to talk about. I'm just so curious because I feel like this word um, has been coming up so much more in the last few years. And actually you were one of the first people I knew who uses this word, and I'm sure it's because of your background in somatics. What does embodiment mean to you? Mm. Um, fundamentally, I think embodiment is about being human and recognizing that we're human and that the human experience is the experience of being in a body and a body is temporary. A body is, uh, wise and deeply attuned and connected with all other life forms. Um, I think somatic practice and embodiment as a, um, point of, research and activism as it's been kind of, uh, blowing up in the like collective sphere over the last decade or so, um, those practices and, um, points of departure are not new. So somatic practice or embodiment practice is very much a part of any indigenous practice, um, recognizing the wisdom of our bodies and also using, um, 
bodily consciousness, somatic consciousness as divination, you know, t- tuning in with the body as oracle um, is a ancestral practice. And it has um, so much to do, I think, with it, with being human. And I would say that I think the forces of colonialism, patriarchy, capitalism, all the isms, um, function in large part to separate us from our bodies and our bodily intelligence. And that has been uh, a huge place of impact and quote unquote success for those forces. Um, Mm -hmm. When we're not embodied, then we are susceptible to so much disembodiment and that can take root in you know, unconscious consumerism and violence and self-hatred, et cetera. So yeah, (laughs) short answer. I mean, I've had you on once before. We're here now. I'm going to have, I'm just, just calling it out. I'm going to have to have you on again, because honestly, you're one of my favorite people to speak with and dialogue with. And I had about three other questions related to what you just said, but we are going to keep (laughs) it on topic because I so gentle listener I asked Renee to be here as part of a very special episode um, because I respect Renee's opinion very much and Renee's absolutely one of my favorite astrologers so this episode we are going to be talking about the astrology of 2022 Mm-hmm. So I guess we should get started with, in your opinion, I know you're one person, talk to another astrologer, they'll have another opinion. In mm-hmm. your opinion, Renee, I'd love it if you could name and kind of go through the the main astrological signatures and underlying structures that you're seeing as part of our 2022? Well, I think for me, astrologically, I'm always kind of looking at the bottom up. So what are the larger timescales first? And the largest timescale that's coming into my consciousness, which is not to say that there aren't others, because I think that there are, um, is the Pluto return of the United States. Um, So... In 2020, I did an embodied astrology episode called Breakdown and Breakthrough, and there was a really significant transit happening at the beginning of 2020 um, that I think forecast the pandemic and certainly a lot of the instability around um, electoral politics in the United States and what has happened since. Mm-hmm. And the United States Declaration of Independence Uh, the kind of like hypothetical birthday of the nation, July 4th, uh, when, what was it, 1776 or something, forgetting exactly the year, but um, Mm -hmm. uh, the United States was born with Pluto in Capricorn. And Pluto's orbit is almost 300 years, right? It's 248 years. And so no one in their life will experience a Pluto return. Mm -hmm. Many people will experience Saturn return. A lot of people get really worked up about Saturn return. It's a big thing. It's uh, definitely a developmental life cycle, but the Pluto return 
that can happen with larger bodies such as nations or countries, I think is a really significant period of time. And particularly this uh, aspect of Pluto in Capricorn, um, and it's too much to get into right now, but it points us back to the 1500s, to the beginning of the transatlantic slave trade, Mm -hmm. uh, to the kind of solidifying of exploitative capitalism and labor and bodies as it has become a worldwide system. Mm -hmm. And whenever there is a planetary return, the return symbolizes uh, the necessity to reflect upon where we have come from. And the issues involved with the birth of something present themselves again and represent themselves again in contemporary times. So I think in, in large part, a big theme of 2022 is this return of Pluto to its natal placement in the United States birth chart. And this has an effect throughout the world because one of the things that has happened certainly uh, since the birth of this nation is um, a a kind of global structure um, and interdependence that is rooted in extraction and in capital and Mm -hmm. uh, kind of the way that the U.S. has formed empire has been very significant within the world. So Pluto returns to 27 degrees, which was the point of uh, the Declaration of Independence in February of 2022, and it will make three exact uh, transits to its natal placement in 2022, in February, in July, and in December. And as the year begins, uh, we begin with two retrogrades of the inner planets or the personal Mm -hmm. planets. Um, Venus will have stationed retrograde in mid-December of 2021. And Venus stations retrograde at 26 Capricorn, so very close to the Pluto degree. And then Mercury will station retrograde in January on the 14th. Um, And it's stationing retrograde in Aquarius, but it's retrograding back to 24 degrees of Capricorn, where it'll station direct in February. This, to me, feels very interesting. The personal planets are where we find the day-to-day kind of activities and energies. And also, when we're thinking about the relationship of the outer planets, such as Pluto, that have these very long spans of time, we're really thinking about collective evolution as well as very long-term processes in our individual lives. But the personal planets show us how as persons, as beings, as individuals, we're interacting with these long collective processes through huge periods of our lives, huge periods of transformation, of learning and unlearning, et cetera. So, I think since uh, this event that I was alluding to earlier in 2020, the conjunction of Saturn and Pluto, um, since then, all of 2020, all of 2021, you know, these years have been huge years of reckoning. They've been intensely Mm -hmm. chaotic. Um, They've included a lot of breakdown energy and then a huge amount of struggle to 
form the future. And it feels like there's been a lot of battle between the past and the future and ideas yeah. about, you know, where, where can we go from here, considering the magnitude of the problems that we're facing. And as we enter into 2022, it feels like this question is very much in the hearts and in the minds of the people. And I think that it will definitely be reflected in our day-to-day processes that Mercury and Venus represent, um, specifically money and food. In terms of what's happening throughout the world, uh, there is there are economic and housing crises. <laughs> um, there is a huge crisis in terms of migration and home uh, climate crisis that's pushing a lot of people um, out of their homelands or displacing them. Economic crises, etc. So. The retrogrades uh, always invite us to think into the RE prefix. And with Mercury retrograde, we have a a symbol of the cognition of the mental aspect Mm -hmm. in our communications. So we're rethinking and we're reflecting and we are reorganizing our intellect and the way that we exchange. Uh, With a Venus retrograde, we're working with value systems uh, with sustenance issues and with relationships. Mm-hmm. And so we're revaluing and we are in relating, right? Like we are in this place of reorganizing, I think, how we relate with one another. And the question of love, I think, and the question of what we love and yeah. what we value and what we feel um, is precious and is worth keeping and accumulating. Like these are big questions that a lot of people are looking at and seeking answers to. So entering into the year, it feels like this transformative energy of not just Mm -hmm. a country, but really a a world that's all, um, you know, we're all dealing with the climate, we're all dealing with pandemic, we're all dealing with economic and uh, food chain issues. Um, These are going to really rise to the surface and continue to intensify, I think, throughout the year. And then as we get into Uh, February, Mars will also enter Capricorn in mid-February. And because Venus has been retrograde, it's stationing direct in the end of January, Venus will be moving very slow and Mars will be moving fairly fast. And so pretty much all of February and March, Venus and Mars travel together in Capricorn, which is significant because it's rare. It doesn't always happen. And they're traveling through the end of Capricorn and into Aquarius together they're going to form two conjunctions, uh, one in mid-February uh, in, in the middle of Capricorn, and then one at the beginning of March at the very first degree of Aquarius. And this is a significant degree. This is the degree point of the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in the end of 2020, mm-hmm. uh, otherwise known to some as um, the Great Conjunction or the Great Mutation. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, this feels like I mean, I'm an optimist and I would consider myself a progressive. And so to me, this, this feels like as an American, knowing that 70% of the country wants socialized healthcare, you know, and, and there's like more of us that want a sane environmental policies than want to continue to burn fossil fuels. Even if there is a huge push uh, from certain contingents towards regressive policies, I think a lot of people are moving towards more progressive uh, ways of living. Yeah. So I want to stop you right there because I want to, I want to put a pin here because it's my understanding 
that in a lot of astrological thought, what is kind of happening around a time that a collective all agrees upon as being a marker, like a Gregorian calendar year, even though many of us differ in our own years. For some, it starts in April. For witches, it starts in October. For others, it's the lunar year, and on and on and on, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a Jewish person. We celebrate it in September, sometimes October. So like time doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. We get it. Yeah. But I have, it is my understanding that a lot of astrologers, you know, will look to similar to looking to what's going on at the beginning of a month to kind of mm-hmm. see how it's going to play out. Uh, astrologers will look to the signature of kind of the beginning of the year to see then what what energy, what themes this is all going to set in motion. Yeah. So what I sort of hear you saying is right there at the start of the year we are going to be forced to clarify our beliefs and what we think and how we think with the Mercury retrograde and our values and Mm -hmm. what we love and how we nourish that which is sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a big believer in New Year's resolutions. I, I believe in seasonal resolutions. Sometimes I even believe in lunation as a resolution i do find it fascinating that this lines right up with the start of the year especially when so many of us have had a year in 2021 where we really wanted to make some changes a lot of us did um and but for whatever reason it, it seemed harder or there were you know again all these supply issues or there were evictions and economic instability and healthcare crises on every front in every way imaginable and so on and so on and so forth. I don't need to go on because we all know uh, what I'm referring to. And so I'm just kind of wondering, Renee, like if in your opinion, do you think, do you think that collectively uh, we're, we're going to kind of understand that the folks who do not want socialized healthcare or the folks who are not interested in collective care, do you think that those are going to just become more and more extreme and they're going to kind of really highlight the contrast with which yeah, it's old, like the yeah. Pluto return, like this is like how this country started. Yeah. Like yeah, it's not, yeah, you do. Do you want to say more yeah. about that? Yeah. I mean, Throughout the year, and we haven't quite gotten into some of the other signatures of the year mm-hmm. um, that seem notable to me, but I think throughout the year, there is definitely an energy of intensifying stratification and conflict. And I think that for those of us in human bodies, it feels like time is moving slow and dragging along. And it's like, oh my God, this conflict is just, mm-hmm. when are we, you know, when are we going to make a shift? Um, I think from a larger perspective, uh, we're in a moment, like we're in a moment of pretty profound transition. And over the next several years, I think that the magnitude of crisis is going to force a lot of changes. Mm. And the, more regressive ideas that are very dominant, I think, currently that have a lot to do with 
property, with ownership, with entitlement, um, protection of uh, particular identity, uh, mm -hmm. you know, issues, etc. Um, these aren't. This isn't getting us anywhere. You know, mm -hmm. like the the level of crisis is global, and it isn't helped by. Uh, cherry, you know, cherry picking issues and this yeah. kind of thing. It's like we need to unify, and in unification, there needs to be an understanding that people are facing very different impacts of the mm -hmm. crisis, and so there has to be an enlarging of empathy and compassion and awareness and a movement out of emotionality to some extent. You know, mm -hmm. the ability to feel, you know, and mm -hmm. and like embody our feelings, but also a movement out of uh, emotional reactivity and towards more of um, a, a greater intellect, you know, the ability to see a big picture and to visualize a future uh, for ourselves on planet Earth. Now this year in 2022, are we going to get there? I don't think so. It'll be a kind of continuation of what I think has been happening over the last couple of years, which is uh, more progressive and radical thought moving from the margins to the center as it does. Other question for folks listening, what would be the opportunities? What kinds of actions would these transits beginning at the end of the year support? What, what can they mm -hmm. help us with personally? What might they mm -hmm. bubble up for us? What might we finally be ready to confront in January and February and yeah. March? Well, I think moving into the beginning of the year, um, working with Mercury and Venus retrograde, uh, with Venus and Mars in their conjunctions working together, with Pluto's influence, as I spoke to, and then two other things that I didn't mention. One is Jupiter's ingress into Pisces, and the other is um, Saturn square to Uranus, which happens for the third and final time in yeah. December of 2021, um, but really brings us into the new year. So I think that what people can do is, well, let me say that you know, people are a large group and there are a lot of people who have very different circumstances. So it's always so hard. I know, I know, I, I get it. In terms of what we can do, you know, I think that people who have means, people who have money, um, and I'm not talking about people who are uber wealthy, I'm talking about people who are comfortable, um, can look at what it means to be comfortable in a very interrogatory way. They can really mm -hmm. inquire into what it is that is actually going to produce comfort for them long-term. I think there's a lot of shifting around, uh, right, around use of resources and mm -hmm. what is like a right use of resource. Mm -hmm. And that there needs to be um, more austerity, really, mm -hmm. and less hoarding. And I think that a lot of folks are recognizing that this is better for them in the long run. So folks with resources recognizing that, you know, sh sharing resources with community makes a healthier community around them, therefore a more pleasurable life for them. Um, people who are landowners returning land uh, to, f f I, you know, either folks who are 
indigenous or who are working with indigenous communities to practice care of land that is imbalanced, you know, with, with the needs of nature, um, things like that. It's like, this is good for us in the long term. Like this is going to be good for you in the long term to get, give away or to share some of your resources, to not hoard as much this kind of thing. Did you have something you want to say? I keep going. I'm just, yeah. Um, so you and I are both people, and I think many of your listeners are as well, who are looking for creative and meaningful applications of our energy in our lives, right? And it's kind of a human desire. It is a human desire, and it's not always something that is easily achievable. Definitely and it does, not. <laughs> it does take a fair amount of commitment, you know, to do what it is that you love to do and want to do in the and, world. And, and privilege. And privilege, absolutely. And I think that supporting more of this is a good thing and that there is, you know, I think one of the most wonderful parts of the pandemic has been this recognition of the need to slow down and prioritize rest, um, that there has been a call that is gaining uh, velocity and momentum for celebrating pleasure and celebrating joy and particularly working to support experiences of pleasure and joy for mm -hmm. people who have historically and currently experienced marginalization and oppression. And the more that we can do that in community, I think the more joy everybody's going to experience. And where we can break down walls and barriers. And this is one of the mm -hmm. symbols of Capricorn, you know, is that Capricorn, especially in its late degrees, is a fully formed structure. And a lot of times it is a wall and walls mm -hmm. keep people out and they also trap people in. And I think a lot of what we're looking at or what I want to look at with these transits is how do we um, reformulate our understanding of boundaries as one kind of structure in terms of boundaries around time and effort. Mm -hmm. Maybe we don't need to kill ourselves, you know, working for capitalism, trying to be productive all of the time. Maybe a more slowing down will allow more of us to recognize our priorities and will also instigate some kind of processes that have less to do with gaining uh, around the individual, individual gain, and more to do with sharing what we have. Because if I want to move slow, and I'm not going to try and build, build, build capital, uh, yeah. it serves me to share, right? And it serves me to, to be a recipient of other people's generosity. And then I think that where we're looking at kind of the monuments of walls that mm -hmm. have been solidified societally, re relationally, politically. Um, I think a lot of people are interested in breaking those walls. And that could be literal, like a lot of people talking about the need to dissolve borders between countries, um, especially as more and more the climate crisis produces yeah. um, so much forced uh, dislocation of people. Um, and also in terms of, I don't know, more structural walls, you know, what, what can somebody access in one body as opposed to another body? I think that there's recognition 
that is increasing, that the more that people have access to basic resources, food, housing, childcare, mm -hmm. et cetera, uh, but also education and paid time off and this kind of thing, then actually the better off everything is. It's like the economy, if we want to think about it like that, will get better. Um, quality of life, the happiness index, things like that. And then our societies get better. When we treat people better, the world gets better. And so the walls that have been built around retaining wealth and privilege and power for a very few, I think that there's more and more impetus to break those walls down. Very, very well said. I also think that one thing I've been thinking a lot about for what has been coming up for me as I've been wrapping my head around next year is this just this idea, and I spoke about it before, of extremes. And mm -hmm. I'm really seeing an extreme of value what we value, what we believe as, I'll use the, the word mutating in a way because we're seeing both the rapid value of land, of mm -hmm. what is most tangible, the very earth that we are on rise in value and it's resources, of course, like things you never thought, or maybe I never thought, I'll just speak for myself, like water, you know, starting to become more and more, I mean, it already was, but starting to become seen as water is sacred, but mm -hmm. capitalism hasn't seen it as such, right? So now it's becoming kind of more sacred as capitalism has destroyed so much of it. Uh, corporations have destroyed so much of it, extraction and colonialism and so on. I could be here all day. So there's that. So that is becoming more valued. And I also think we're seeing what we have around us. We're valuing it more, whether that be like a coffee mug that we really like or the things that give us comfort through being in quarantine for so long. And then we also have this extreme of intellectual property air, right? So we're seeing this clash of like earth and air, if we're talking mm -hmm. elementally, where ideas, technology, the ability to bring people together, the ability to share complex ideas, simply the idea to get people to pay attention to you, the attention economy, like all of these things are both growing, like they're both extreme, and they're both growing. And so uh, I was thinking about as you were talking about, you know, what we need to value as being not the minimum, that's not the right word, but like where we've become like too comfortable yeah. with sort of with sort of the earth element and how the air element of sharing dialogue, communication, yeah. innovation, learning can inform each other. And it's something I've been thinking about since I think last year, because I felt like there was like a switch and it felt yeah. like very, not that it wasn't already happening, but it feels really pronounced. And I find it really odd. And of course makes sense that while we really need to focus on making the earth habitable and combat the climate crisis, we have these millionaires like trying to escape. Like, you know, just trying to I like mean, peace out. Parody. I think it's, a, I think they're providing parody and satire in some ways. It's like, and that, and, 
And then I, I think about the metaverse. Like I think mm-hmm. about like how they're trying to push to go AI everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you're just trying to, es- are you just trying to escape, escape reality? Because yeah. so I think about this idea of, of realities and multiple realities yeah. and how they're all real, you know, like you and I having this conversation done by technology, very real. Uh, and also not really, you know, like, right. how, like it's, it is, and it's not if, if right. we, you know, if no one listens to this, did it ever happen? Who knows? No, it happened. Right. So I also think about our values changing too. That brings me to our values changing around experiences, staying present, uh, taking, you were talking about walls and, and boundaries, having super tight boundaries around our attention and where mm-hmm. that's going, like mm-hmm. literally. Um, I've been thinking about this quite a lot. And I think we'll have a little wrap up at the end of our dialogue to sort of reflect on, you know, what has been coming up for you uh, with the astrology. And I can certainly share what's coming up for me. But I wanted to jump right into the big news about Jupiter, baby. Let's let's get let's get yeah. Jupiter. Let's get Jupiterian for a minute. Okay. Before we get there, yeah. I just want to say I'm glad you said that piece around Earth and Air. Um, you know, that shift into air is one of the symbols of the great conjunction that happened at the end of 2020, the um conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn, where the, Mars and Venus will come together in March of 2022. And there is a a kind of larger collective symbol of moving from a 200-year span of time dominated by the Earth element into a 200-year span of time dominated by the air element. And throughout 2022, all of Mercury's retrogrades will begin in air signs and will return to Earth signs. And so looking at those cycles, I think that exactly what you're saying is definitely... um, an important theme uh, as we move through the year when it comes to all that Mercury represents. So technology and communications, also the global exchange and currencies, as well as our thoughts and, and how we're conversing with one another. And, and, cha- and changing our thoughts and like repatterning cha- our mm-hmm. thoughts and being able to move different places through our thoughts and right. I and also, where we go with our attention, I mean, what you were mm-hmm. talking about with AI and, you, you know, our increasingly virtual realities mm-hmm. for some. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, for some. There was this other thing I just wanted to say. I, it's more about getting your opinion. It's probably just me, but I always think, and no one ever says this, and so maybe it's just, I also sort of think of Mercury as being a little bit of a goth. Like I, there's a sadness totally. to me with Mercury, like because they like go in all these different places mm-hmm. and they're sometimes cynical. And I think mm-hmm. of Mercury as having this like sense of humor and there's sarcasm in that, or there's like right. slight sleight of hand or masks, masks or right. things like that. So I also think of like maybe again I'm I'm projecting, but like the Mercury retrogrades also could be this great um, opportunity to reflect upon our mortality. Mm-hmm. Totally. And I think, I mean, in what you just said, I'm also kind of thinking about Mercury as a trickster archetype. And it's like, let's look at the way that your mind is going to fuck with you. Mm. And especially in the transition between kind of this earth dominated paradigm and air dominated paradigm, 
a lot of astrologers have been talking about a move from ownership, like private ownership into collective ownership as being yeah. one theme. Um, but I mean, we don't have the time to get into all of the time spans and the symbols of mm -hmm. them. But one thing I think is, it's like when um, shifts start to happen, and then how these kind of like gestures of a new paradigm get co-opted. So whether mm. it's like greenwashing something or like, I don't know what the, what color it is washing something with like a spiritual cute, like a new age bypassing or, you know, something like that. I feel like, and then there's a lot of pushback, you know? And so there's this debate around like, is it or isn't it? And what is and what isn't? And like, where are you getting it? And where are you failing? And I know that I've, you know, been personally going through that for a mm -hmm. long time too, where it's like some, you know, something comes along and my consciousness is like, this is the way that it needs to go. But I still have, you know, most of my being is in the old paradigm. So I'm trying to do it in this old way. Right. And then I'm like, no, no, dude, you're failing. Like you have to go back. You have to look at it. You have to learn more. You have to, mm -hmm. um, kind of like eat your words. You have to be humble. And yeah. I definitely feel that with Mercury, you know, that it, it does traverse between the worlds. And I don't think that there's, um, you know, Mercury doesn't have preference in this way where it's like, it's right. equally comfortable in the night and the day. It's equally right. comfortable on either side of the binary. And so when, when we get too attached to one point of view, especially at the Mercury retrogrades, that's often when we get like slapped upside the head and it's like, you're not looking at something, look the other way. Yeah, let's, there's so much more I could say, obviously. Um, you know, there's this, these themes of also choice, which I think Mercury always brings up and like masks coming off and being able to see micro and macro and like really being able to learn through contrast through and through looking around and saying, wait a minute, this mm -hmm. has been backwards pants day. And to your, to your point, when we're in the beginning phases of trying to implement something new, especially if it's meaningful, especially if we deeply value it, especially if it has a lot riding on it, so to speak, morally or spiritually or heart-wise, we also have to be willing to F up. You know, yeah. we, we have to be willing to do it in quote wrong, um, yeah. which we'll also see dissolve more and more yeah. as wrong and right. Like what? That's those are also constructs. I think that um, I think a lot of us are going to have to really reckon with those fundamentals of like, am I wrong? Am I right? Wait, that's not it's the both and that's coming up here because yeah. it's a lover's year and lover's. Uh, has to do with Gemini, which we know has this correlation with Mercury. And I, I think like, if you're listening to this, like just be really okay with choosing adaptability and yeah. choosing to sit with ch contrast and the both and, and yep. being in progress this year through next year. Yeah. Um, and, and I also see this as the first year in many years, even before the pandemic, and again, I'm very conscious of who I'm speaking to uh, in the sense that everyone has such different 
lives and such different perspectives. So I just want to be really clear that people are not a monolith. But I do think that if we choose it next year, theoretically, could be one of the first years in a, quite a long time where instead of just reacting, like feeling like we're just reacting to life or reacting to the news or reacting to a crisis that's happening in our lives, we can begin to respond and also we can begin to rebuild. We can yeah. begin to think, okay, there was so much resistance. There was so much reckoning. There, there was so much reactivity. We had to, to survive. This was like survival stuff. And now I see us having openings and that doesn't mean the whole year is going to be great or anything, but I think there's certainly more opportunities in 2022 to be creative and to think yeah. about, well, what am I going to build? Even if that means like, how am I going to craft my mornings or yeah. how am I going to craft my home life? Do I need to move in with this person I like? Do I want roommates? Do I want to live alone? Like just the things that are within our control and obviously that's all varying, but like, I think there's going to be those opportunities because the other thing I need to say, and I need to get this on record and I'm sure I'm going to be saying it in many other places. So forgive me if you've heard this one before, uh, there is only going to be more chaos and more totally. noise and more distractions um, and more chances to have our time, not be our own, uh, mm -hmm. whether that be like, addicted to the screen or getting into drama or whatever it might be like we all collectively I feel have to watch out for that mm -hmm. yeah, uh, I, I, out, you know and I, I think those retrogrades in the beginning can help right. us like reorient and and think about what we want to be giving our attention to uh, mm -hmm. our intuition to you know our structures and so on and so forth yeah, definitely. I mean, what you were talking about also, I feel like really ties in with the eclipses this year, which maybe we can talk about before we get to Jupiter. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so in uh, January, the um, eclipse axis makes its kind of final movement into Taurus and Scorpio. Um, and so then through the end or through October of 2023, eclipses will be happening in those seasons. And the North Node is transiting Taurus. And what you were just talking about feels so resonant with that energy for me. Um, when the North Node is in Taurus, what we are learning, like the evolutionary direction and what brings us success and like, you know, what goodies, life goodies or something is like pacing. You know, Taurus is like, move slow, bitch. Like, take a pause. This is your life. Why are you rushing? Um, Bio Kamalafe has this amazing essay. It's like, the times are urgent. Let us slow down. We really need to feel the mm -hmm. impact of the past in order to do something different in the future. If we're mm -hmm. rushing, you know, urgently, hastily into whatever we think the next solution is, but we haven't taken time to actually feel where we are, we're not doing anything new. We're not doing anything better. And the North Node in Taurus is prioritizing the earth, right? Like prioritizing the bodily and embodiment. And with that, I have to say that I am beyond thrilled at how much is coming up in the worlds of somatics and embodiment and, you know, decolonization practices, which are 
inherently, you know, looking at embodiment and looking at how do we heal the split that has happened between body and land um, and and between peoples. And the recognition that when we can move slowly and tune in with our bodies, that we have a lot more capacity to not be reactive and harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think is it's like seeping into consciousness in a much larger scale right now. And that means that we it's like there's less attraction to crisis situations. And even thinking about, you know, p- people who are have totally been in my sphere as like kind of a middle class white woman, you know, in my own business kind of entrepreneur, it's like pre-pandemic there was this aesthetic around busyness. And it was like, the busier you are, the more successful you are, right? And it's like, busy, 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 you must be a boss, right? And over the last few years, it's like, no, that's not, you know what? (laughs) The busier you are, the more harmful you're probably being, right? right. Like the more that you are really uh, allowing these kind of like cultural characteristics of white supremacy to guide your actions. You're so busy, you can't even see the world around you. Like step off the treadmill for a second and take stock of your surroundings and practice gratitude. You know, I think that seeing what we have and being grateful for what we have Mm -hmm. becomes highlighted when we recognize that we might lose it. Right. And, and, and that's the, that Scorpio South node exactly. right there. Exactly. Yeah. That Scorpio South node is like, and I, you know, I'm a very Jupiterian person. I'm like super optimist and I can, I can tend to talk about things in this way where it's like, no, I think we're going to shift. But I will say that I agree with you. Like, I think things are going to get worse for a while. And we haven't even started to contend with the half life of chemical breakdown. You know what I mean? It's like, in terms of the mounting crises that are coming our way, it's like, there is a lot that humanity is going to have to deal with in terms of the mess that has been made and the worse things get, the more people will be orienting towards making it better. And when it's like, Oh, I can make things, I can make things shitty for other people, but it's still okay for me. It's like, that is going to be less and less of a margin of people who can think that. And then as more people become like clued into the fact that we are all connected and it needs to be better for everybody. So it can be better for us. Then it's like these billionaires going to Mars. This is where it's like, they're a fucking parody. It's like, are you really, (laughs) that's what you're going to be looking at right now. Can can I just chime in uh, uh, something that came up for me as you were speaking about Taurus and trauma. Yeah. um, And the eclipses. I also think like collectively, I've been thinking about this quite a bit Um, because for me, I've spoken, I've shared this in public before. And like, for me, a lot of my life actually opened up when I got this really serious health diagnosis. Um, Mm. And I think that with the South node being in Scorpio, um, I think that hopefully more and more people, more and more people who have the ability to influence others and and whose decisions deeply impact other people um will you know with with hopefully a a greater confrontation of of death there will be a greater appreciation of life and i was thinking about taurus 
and trauma and slow slowness. And I was thinking about folks who have histories of trauma often don't feel like they can go slowly. They often right. feel like they have to rush or, or survivors of any way right. of, of any circumstance. And when I say that, I'm even widening out my definition to include folks whose decisions were not their own. Their lives were dictated by other people and uh, in, in the minute and then, you know, even larger. And to a certain extent, that's the vast majority of us, right? Depending mm -hmm. on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I think about this trauma response that I've had that I'm really looking, I, I'm personally trying to like heal from and unravel. And it's that, it's this response to make do. And it's this response to just take the duct tape, patch it over the yeah. hole, not for like, not really look at it. Like I got to keep going. I, I have to keep moving. Like I, I don't have the time to make this decision because I think for so many of us, like feeling like we have time is a luxury. And if you're a trauma survivor, feeling like you have time and space, that, that isn't something that's a natural inclination to you because you're always yeah. reacting, responding, um, so on and so forth. And when I think about the North node in, in Taurus and you were talking about moving slowly so we could like do things from a resource space um, or do things in quote in a more sustainable way or, or set things up from a way that feels sustainable for not just us, you know, but for the earth, for the planet, for our loved ones, for people we'll never meet, for our fucking enemies, because we're talking about South Node and Scorpio, like, you know, yeah. um, I think about, again, this other opportunity, this other invitation through to look at our trauma responses, to figure out how to get our nervous system, that mercury resourced enough so that we can begin to make decisions uh, out of a more resourced way, however that looks and feels. And, and I'm thinking about it in my own life of like, well, how can I begin something in a way that is going to be sustainable all the way through? And I think that is already that North node Taurus. And also with that South node in Scorpio being like, because we don't get, I don't get this minute back. Right. Like, I want to be present with you. I want to be right. listening to you. I want to be in dialogue with you. It's gone. Like, right. you know, this is it, really. Right. And that to me also is the lovers, which is the tarot archetype. We're in a six year. So I think about that. I love what you just said. And, you know, with this last kind of influence that I had written down to talk about today is Jupiter's transits and Jupiter in 2021 and 2022 and 2023 has this kind of wobble between the signs. It has an almost 12 year orbit. A lot of times it'll spend pretty close to a solid year in a sign, but then it, it has this wobble between the signs every several years. So in 2022, uh, Jupiter is in Pisces for uh, about half the year and in Aries for about half the year. And it, makes an ingress into Pisces in December of 2021. And in April of 2022, Jupiter forms a conjunction with Neptune uh, in Pisces, um, 23 degrees, if anyone is interested. And 23 degrees of Pisces is a really interesting degree. It's in the third decan of Pisces. Austin Kopic talks about this decan as the bowl of blood, as this sacrificial space where the passions and the furies that have become so dominating within the human experience that it has clouded perception need to be drained. Mm. 
The 23rd degree in the Sabian symbol is a symbol of giving one's vital energy to substantiate an ideal of something, making a very personal sacrifice for a, a larger vision. Mm. And Jupiter and Neptune are the two rulers of Pisces. Jupiter is the traditional ruler. Neptune is the modern ruler. And I think that their coming together is such a, it resonates so much with what you just said of this awareness that time is fleeting and this is the moment right now. And all the dreams and aspirations and ideas that I have for myself and my life and my, me, mine, I, what does it mean? You know, what does any of that mean? If this larger vision isn't something that I'm working for, isn't something that I'm participating in. And when I was looking at, you know, cause I really love like looking at the kind of cycles or histories of different symbols. Um, the last time Jupiter and Neptune made a conjunction in Pisces was in 1856. I don't know a ton about 1856, but just a quick kind of Google search brought up two really interesting things I thought, which is when it was the, the year that the Potawatomi massacre happened. And so that was when a group of abolitionist settlers murdered a group of pro-slavery settlers in front of their families. And it was, it was a very um, kind of charged event and part of a series of events that led to the Civil War and uh, a kind of like consistent series of events. And thinking about where we are now, you know, and we're recording in what month is it? November of 2021 and everything that's been happening around critical race theory, around like, you know, the, the structures embedded within systems that continue to perpetuate oppression, especially of people who aren't white. It's like there's more and more push and there's more and more pushback. And it's it feels like, okay, we're moving towards the precipice of something you know, like, or we're at the precipice yeah. of something, we're moving towards the kind of explosion of something, the big, a, a big showdown, so to speak. I don't know what it's going to be, if it will take the shape of a civil war like it did before. I don't know. Um, and the other, mm-hmm. the other thing that I came across was that in 1856, the first oil well was dug, which I thought was really interesting. The first oil well was dug in Pennsylvania. And, wow. um, wow. And so thinking about... Well, I'm just like, it's not even 200 years later, it's, and it's like ruining, it's like led to so, so much pain. And with pain. Pisces, you know, as Pisces as a symbol is like this everythingness, right? And thinking about Neptune and Jupiter, like these symbols of like fantasy and delusion and expansion and more and more and more and the consumption of fossil fuels and what are we going to get for all these resources that we extract and then this cumulative destruction right with the burning right. of fossil fuels and greenhouse gases and that last that last a can of like the bowl, the bowl of blood, blood. Or the, yeah and you're just like I, yeah. for, now it is making more sense yes. now that you're putting yes. it into context right. so it's like what needs to be sacrificed in order for this larger vision and so this brings me back to what i was saying at the beginning where it's like what can people do we can sacrifice you know we can make sacrifice of what is excessive of what is actually self-centered unnecessary you know serving some kind of 
individual delusion of where I'm going to get all by myself, you know, whatever, like this individualist myth. Yeah. Um, we yeah. can make sacrifice and we make those sacrifices in effort to not make more of this larger sacrifice, right? Which is the sacrifice of our planet, the sacrifice of our health, our well-being, our contentment. I was hoping you could share just a little bit about, because also as you were talking about the back and forth, back and forth of Jupiter from Pisces into Aries, it just makes me think this Piscean fantasy or vision or awareness of how much we influence one another hopping into Aries. Well, like what's my accountability? Mm -hmm. Do I need to care less and act more? Like, do I need to uh, make some serious decisions about what I'm doing? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think about, I think about that. I was hoping you could speak a little bit about your thoughts of, um, of that transition because Jupiter is like barely in Pisces. It's like right. so rude, right? Cause it's supposed <laughs> to be exalted and everyone was all excited. And then it's like, wow. I mean, just a little it, like order. It does you spend, know? All in all, it will spend almost a year in Pisces. If you look at 2021's transits, but um, yeah, I mean, I think this wobble between 2021 and 22, uh, of Jupiter into Pisces, back into Aquarius, back into Pisces, into Aries, back into Pisces and into Aries. Um, for me, it feels like, you know, Ju I, I love Jupiter as a, as an energy and as a symbol. Um, and I definitely resonate with it as a benefic and as a symbol of the guru or the teacher. And it's like, if we're tuning in with Jupiter on a kind of subtle level, it definitely can show us where to grow and how to expand our consciousness and how to learn and play the game of life and go for opportunities, right? And succeed. And we succeed the most when we're working with Jupiter, when we're moving in the direction of high teachings, right? And so these high teachings throughout the ages that whether we're looking at Christianity, at Islam, at the Buddhism at indigenous cosmologies, it's like there is a whole, there's a greater whole. And when we are in alignment between our minds, our hearts and our bodies, then we are in alignment with the divine, with the divine force. And when we can recognize the continuity in the complexity of the whole and care for that continuity, then we can care for ourselves and, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. It's like, Jupiter's teachings have a lot to do with morals and, and ethics, I would say not morals, but ethics. Um, and so I think working with Jupiter, I mean, we can look at Jupiter and it's like shitty manifestation as a bureaucrat or like constant expansion more, more, more. Um, but that will inevitably lead to some of these teachings because you'll collapse, you'll get deflated and <laughs> perish. Um, and so I feel like Jupiter and Neptune coming together in this last decade of Pisces does feel to me like a very significant spiritual expansion. And I'm holding that in the context of suffering and the massive amount of suffering that is pushing consciousness to grow. 
And whether it's experiencing our own suffering, experience instability, um, death, so much death, uh, violence, et cetera, how, you know, how do we get through times of intense trial and suffering? Do we become the force that corrodes itself in fear and violence and scarcity? Or, or do we continue to go inward and look for what is sig significant in our own beings in the realm of, I'm more than this, you know, it's like, all this suffering is coming in and the world is telling me this and da, 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 and I'm more than this. I have to go, I have to find this within myself, this expansion of spirit. And then the incredible magnitude of suffering on the planet right now and the increasing devastation of climate crisis. And I think this is a huge symbol for that, you know, whether it's fires, floods, category six tornadoes, or, you know, it's like, they're all getting worse. And people can't not pay attention. And so Jupiter and Neptune coming together, I think is a saturation of emotion in Pisces. It's like a full feeling um, that wants to, that, that wants some kind of shift. And historically Neptune and Pisces are periods of time when there is um, a kind of like, crusade feeling, you know, like it's a, it's a time of religious expansion, whether that literally was the crusades or, um, expansion of Buddhism into Japan or, um, the communist manifesto, like getting published or the spiritualist church or something. It's like, there are a lot of expansions of philosophies and, um, kind of re religious experiences or, um, uh, belief systems during these times. And I guess for myself, I feel like a more, um, inclusive, uh, humanistic spiritual path is what I'm attuning with. And to go back to the, the movement of Pluto through Capricorn, you know, Neptune and Pluto are in a several decades long sextile that started to form in the 1950s and doesn't really culminate until the 2030s. But one of the ways that I look at Pluto and Capricorn is a resurgence of indigenous wisdom and a reckoning that I think is happening right now for a lot of folks who are coming from settler migrant lineages with the ways that we have been violently separated from our indigenous roots, that we have been violently separated from other indigenous peoples that we have been the causes, the forces of violent separation. Um, and I think for a lot of folks like reclaiming and remembering and also reflection on the fact that there are still thriving indigenous communities now doing the work of caretaking, you know, I forget the percentage, but it's something like 80 or 90% of the world's, mm -hmm. you know, like um, oxygen <laughs> production, like these, incredible habitats, right, are cared for, fostered by indigenous communities. And it's, you know, I think that this awareness is like, slowly seeping into bureaucracy to governments, and there is some kind of recognition that right. the harm of right. colonial settler impact is a harm that right. is, not, is not a harm that doesn't affect all of us, right? Like it's, 
it's like these are the roots of environmental devastation of social unrest of economic um inequality etc so and it's also like to your point about spirituality it's also i mean in my humble opinion it's one of the reasons why such trauma and such harm continues to be facilitated Mm -hmm. because when we and again i'm (laughs) listeners will know i am incredibly biased here but not having a spiritual practice and i mean spiritual not religious but not having a spiritual practice that is born from an intimacy first of all and like second of all with this pluto and capricorn like a root like a root that whether it is land-based or lineage-based or you know some some kind of root um a lot of suffering comes from that, you know, whether people know that or acknowledge it or not. Um, and again, I'm not, if you're an atheist listening to this, that's fantastic. If, if you don't believe in anything, that's fine and wonderful. And also when I talk about spirituality, I don't necessarily mean it's rooted in belief that there's a goddess or a God or many. Um, it's just the belief that we are, as you so beautifully said, previously more than like we are like we are more than what we've been told we are we are more than this little isolated cell that doesn't have uh any relationship with nature or the elements or the future or the past or whatever so that's kind of what i mean so renee can i just say one more thing yeah (laughs) yeah i know this is why this is why we're like and always have podcast episodes, Renee. Yes, please. <laughs> just, just to what you were just saying, I just want to make a case for what I, what I've touched on a couple of times, which is embodiment. You know, and I think that embodiment as a practice is a spiritual practice, and it's not about is there a god or a goddess or deities or something like that. It could include all that, but it can also be, I am a living system that is infinite and miraculous and mysterious. And the living system that I am is continuous with the living system around me. And if I am really truly to be well, then my environment needs to be well. And I cannot seek wellness in a world that is unwell. I have to seek the wellness of the world in order for myself to be well. So I feel like for me, this is like, okay, if there's any crusade that I'm on, you know, like if I'm going to be promoting any kind of spiritual practice, it's this. It's, and, and to me, this is a remembering of ancestral knowledge at its, at its core, at its root. It's been such a pleasure, folks. I highly recommend looking to Renee's offerings, whether it's readings, workshops, memberships, or all of the above. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else you want to say to our wonderful listeners before we close you know be excellent to each other love yourself and um remember that it's a big cosmic mystery thank you so much for having me sarah bye everyone (laughs) Bye. bye okay that's our show for today i know i know There's a lot going on. Yes, this year is going to be a lot, babes. No 
Do not say, I did not warn you. Yes, you can not only get through it, you can thrive. You've got tools, you've got practices, you're gorgeous. If you feel called, try out some of the ones that I offer, like the workshops this month, like the Many Moons Planner. Try out some of Renee's tools that Renee has over at Embodied Astrology. If you're a past student of mine, put on one of the meditations I've created for our courses. Listen to some old episodes of this podcast. You've got this. Go within. You're intuitive. You're powerful. You're awesome. Have a beautiful, clarity-filled, embodied weekend, everyone. Until soon. Moonbeaming is brought to you by The Moon Studio. It is created and hosted by me, Sarah Faith Godestiner. Additional assistance is provided by Hazel Frew. Sound art is by Will Owen. And the show is supported by The Moon Studio's Patreon. Thanks so much for your support. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and tell a friend. It's much appreciated. Thanks for being here.